Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. fan my name is pastor steve and i have the privilege of opening up the scriptures with you this morning uh, we're going to be looking at mark chapter one this morning so if you would go ahead and open up your bibles to mark chapter one uh, verses 16 through 18 and we're continuing our our series looking at our mission and vision as a church as pastor derek says often uh, vision leaks in, in terms of where we're headed the direction what what we value what we're passionate about uh, the things that ought to be the priority in our lives. Uh, sometimes we get distracted and uh, we get uh, kind of uh, side, uh, like off-roaded in, in the process of living out our lives. And so uh, as a part of uh, our community of faith and the mission and vision of this church to renew, rebuild, and release people through the work of Jesus Christ, the past several weeks we have looked at uh, being renewed by the gospel um, and what the gospel of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his bodily resurrection, and faith in that, that gift of grace, uh, does to transform and change our lives and how we operate. Um, and now we're going to turn our attention to the part of our vision uh, that is being rebuilt by that gospel and what it looks like to be rebuilt. And so when you've got Mark chapter 1, Verses 16 through 18, would you do me a favor? Shout, I got it. And would you rest on your feet as we read it together? It reads this way. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, crafting, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. Chicago is one of those places that is known for uh, incredible restaurants. I mean, some of the best restaurants in the world are right here in Chicago, a little maybe a half mile northeast of here in uh, the West Loop, there's going to be restaurants that are some of the best restaurants in the entire world. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, we often, like, we'll get excited to go out of town, and, uh, and we will get interested in the possibility of, of going out to a, a nice dinner, a date night. We haven't had one of those in a while. Excited. We're on uh, Yelp, and I'm checking out, oh, this place has great reviews, blah, 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 blah. We were in Houston a couple of weeks ago. This place has good, good reviews. We went, and y'all, I got to confess, oftentimes when you go to eat somewhere outside of Chicago, you're going to be disappointed. That's just the reality because Chicago has one of the greatest uh, restaurants, I mean, restaurant scene in, in the entire world. It was rated, actually, number one uh, restaurant city in the nation like two or three years uh, in a row. And so over the course of time, I got really interested actually in, in cooking. And I like, uh, you obviously can see by my build that I, I like comfort food, right? I like comfort food. And so I, I told myself that in order 
for me to stay healthy. I got to learn how to make healthy comfort food. Um, and so about six or seven years ago, I turned my attention to try to learn how to cook. Uh, and so I'd get on YouTube and, and do some of the knife skill uh, uh, YouTube videos and, and, and watch a number of different things. And then I, I, began, uh, I began to cook. Uh, and then I got interested in what chefs all over uh, the country were doing and uh, the different restaurants. And I, I saw this show called Chef's Table on Netflix, and I got really interested, and I watched all of these different chefs uh, from different parts of the world uh, and tell their story, how they learned what they learned, how they got started, how uh, kind of the process of where they get their ingredients from, wh where they source the things that they uh, get to cook in the restaurant, kind of the things that, that, that got them uh, to where they are today and all of that kind of thing. And one of the things that you realize when you watch from one chef to another is that oftentimes at the very beginning of their journey, they spent a significant time with another chef who had incredible expertise. And so, and, and in culinary world, they call this staging. Uh, staging. You, you go and you apprentice under uh, one particular chef and you learn the techniques of that chef. And uh, you learn and watch them uh, run a kitchen and how they interact with the other cooks inside the kitchen. And uh, you learn uh, all types of different things about sourcing ingredients and uh, all of these different details that make you uh, into a, a good chef. And then ultimately what happened was is as they staged, as they apprenticed under these other, uh, these other chefs with expertise, those chefs multiplied themselves. And now those same people who had apprenticed under another chef with expertise were now on my Netflix show uh, being the one who everybody is looking to as that expert chef. Um, and in essence, what I want to talk about today as we get ready to come to our passage is that just like how the chefs on chef's table uh, apprentice and stage under other chefs with expertise and learn the techniques of how they do what they do and source their ingredients, how to manage a kitchen, what not to do, what to do, all of the different details that they, they learn as they apprentice under other chefs is actually something very similar to what Jesus calls you and me to participate in as we apprentice as followers of Jesus. And ultimately, the objective is to multiply ourselves into other people so that there can be chefs all over the country with incredible restaurants. So I want to preach from the subject uh, this morning. I want to preach from the subject, let's get cooking. Uh, let's, let's get cooking. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us, and I pray as we get ready to open up your word that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in your word. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, Mark is sort of the action-packed account of Jesus' life and ministry. 
Um, God the Father has just affirmed Jesus uh, when he got baptized by John the Baptist. And, and you hear the story of, this is my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. And then the scripture says that Jesus went into the wilderness. And right out of him coming uh, out of the wilderness, after being tempted by Satan, he begins his earthly ministry. He begins, uh, he begins preaching around Galilee. Uh, it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Uh, so evidently John the Baptist has ruffled some feathers, been thrown in jail, and Jesus begins this ministry. He says the time is fulfilled. This is what he's preaching, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what exactly is Jesus proclaiming? What exactly is Jesus preaching? He hasn't started talking about his death, burial, and resurrection yet. He hasn't uh, started talking about paying uh, the sin debt that was due uh, from humanity. He wasn't talking about that. But what he was specifically talking about was that the kingdom of God was breaking into earth through the person and work of Jesus. He uh, was the kingdom of God at hand. Uh, he was the representative of every human being to fulfill uh, everything that God expected from human beings in and of himself. And he was God in the flesh, able to pay our sin debt, past, present, and future. So all the things that weren't right now are going to be righted. And that was uh, initiated through the incarnation or the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Um, and so it, it has cosmic, uh, really, implications, the message that Jesus begins to preach. Um, and you'd think that if the people of Israel had been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, waiting for this Messiah who was going to put all things to rights, and, uh, and they had this expectation of a king who was going to come, you'd think that maybe the first thing that Jesus would do is some incredible miracle. You'd think that maybe the first thing that Jesus would do was maybe open up somebody's blinded eyes, or that would be when he uh, takes the two fish and the five loaves and breaks them and blesses them and multiplies them and feeds the 5,000. And yet that's not what Jesus does. Actually, what Jesus does is in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, and they, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so what do Simon and Andrew do? Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Evidently, Jesus walks down the beach a little bit further in verse 19, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And so who are these people? Jesus doesn't perform a miracle. He doesn't, he doesn't open up blinded eyes. He calls some fishermen to come follow him. Who are, who are these people that Jesus has called? Verse 16 says that the first two brothers are Simon and Andrew. And later on in the Gospels, Jesus is going to change Simon's name to Peter. And verse 19 tells us the names of the others were James and John. And later on in the gospel, we find out that Peter, James, and John are a part of Jesus's inner circle. Uh, and in essence, what, what you realize is that 
These ain't no rabbis. These, these aren't people with doctoral degrees. These aren't theologians. They're fishermen. And in essence, if you think about it, whatever the greatest industry, right, in, in, the, in, in, in whatever particular city, if you think about it, even if you were to think about what, whatever the greatest industry is uh, in this city, right, in Chicago, whether you're in marketing or whether you're in finance or whatever uh, you're, you're in, whatever it, it is, whatever is the popular thing, most of the food that people ate in the Mediterranean world came from fishermen. I think one of the things that Jesus is showing, calling Peter, James, and John, is to say, hey, I got regular folk. And in me getting those regular people, I turn the world upside down. And I think that that's that's God's word to you and me today is that when, when we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm, I'm in marketing or I'm, uh, I'm in law or I'm, uh, I'm in, in uh, this thing over here or I, I work uh, in a factory or whatever it, it is, that somehow for some reason you can't be used by God because you're just a regular person. And that's exactly who God wants to use is a regular everyday person. So the first thing that Jesus does isn't a miracle. It isn't opening up the blinded eyes. It's calling regular everyday people to himself to be in relationship with him. And so one of the things that, that the, the message of, of the gospel does and, uh, and what we have uh, been talking about over the course of the past several weeks, that the, the gospel renews our lives and renews our, our hearts, is that through the person and work of Jesus, through Jesus living the perfect life that we couldn't live, he fulfills all of the things that, that, that God required for us to interact with a holy and a perfect God. He, he, he puts to rights the things that, uh, that were wrong, right? Through his perfect life, we were created in the image of God, uh, and, and for some reason, we keep going back to other things and building our lives on other things other than God and uh, building our lives on created things, building our lives on romantic relations building our lives on careers and vocations, building our lives on a 3,000-square-foot house with quartz countertops and, uh, and a duplex down and a rooftop and, uh, and building our lot building, excuse me, that's just me, I'm sorry. Uh, and Jesus steps into that, dies sacrificially in our place and for our sins, all the things that we build our lives on uh, other than God, in order to give us the opportunity to interact with the only one who can truly satisfy every lasting care and need that you and I have. He renews our lives. And, and, and that could have happened when you were five years old and your, your grandma uh, re read uh, the Bible to you, the Jesus Storybook Bible. That could, that could have happened over the course of uh, the, the past several years where you were just interacting and asking questions and, and, and trying to figure things out uh, about faith. It, it could have been something that happened for you in college or something that happened, uh, that happened for you as, as an adult. You're 27 years old and you've just been coming to church the past few weeks and something clicked. It just came together. I recognize 
that I am in need of Jesus and Jesus is the gift of God's love and grace for me to be made right with him. And you respond to that message by faith, by trusting in the person and work of Jesus as the gift of grace to your life. It doesn't mean you had one special moment where you got knocked off, uh, you know, your high whole process uh, of realization. But then God calls us not just to be renewed by the gospel message, but to become disciples of Jesus. So this is the next move. This is this is the next means of, of the purpose of our lives. For those of us who have been renewed by the power of, of the gospel, it's this idea of being a disciple the scripture says in Matthew 28, Jesus calls, uh, calls uh, his, his disciples together. He, he says, go, therefore, and, and make converts. Go, therefore, and make people who, uh, who come to church on Sundays. Go, therefore, and, and make people who listen to Christ, CCM, Christian music, on their way to church. Or on their, excuse me, on their way to work. Go, go therefore, and come, uh, come to Christmas and Easter um, and, and, and give, to the, give to the poor. Oh, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples. So what is a disciple? For some of us, because in our minds we're regular, everyday people, even though that's the exact people that, that Jesus called, this idea of discipleship seems so... Uh, overbearing, so, so big, so, uh, so theological. And, and, and really, in essence, what being a disciple or discipleship is, is simply producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. It's producing, reproducing followers of Jesus. And you say, Steve, well, I'm just a regular everyday person. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know how I don't know how to do that. And, and yet the model of what God has given us in the scripture actually is pretty clear. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and look at the relationship of the Apostle Paul and, uh, and his apprentice Timothy, you can see a lot of the nature of what it means to be. A, I think this acronym is incredibly helpful. It's, it's the acronym called RIDE. Ride. My, my mentor, Brian Loritz, is not new to me, or it's not unique to me, um, but Pastor Derek is going to talk about the second half of, uh, of this particular acronym ne- next week, and I'm going to talk about the first half. And the, the first thing about discipleship is discipleship is relational. If you're going to be a d- disciple, it's relational. And the second thing is, is that discipleship is inspirational. Discipleship is relational and it's inspirational. If you were to look at 1 Timothy as the Apostle Paul is writing uh, to his apprentice who pastors a church there in Ephesus, uh, he calls him his beloved child. Uh, he, he, he says to his apprentice, he says, he says to his staging chef, my beloved child. It is it is. It is. A relational phrase. It is a deep interconnected love phrase to his apprentice. And then in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 4, and many people think that Paul is sort of writing uh, his, his last words as he gets ready to pass on. Uh, he says to Timothy, I long to see you. 
His, his apprentice now had become uh, his, his friend. His, his apprentice had now become like a father-son relationship. They, they were like brothers, and, and they had established this relationship. And one of the reasons why I think that we don't participate in this idea of discipleship and not just, hey, I come to church on Sundays, but I take the next step to discipleship. One of the reasons why I think that we don't take that next step uh, is, is because we think that information is the only means of change. We, we think that information is the only thing that actually forms us. You don't, you don't believe me yet. You don't, you don't believe me. That's okay. Uh, many of you, because I know, uh, I know a good amount of you, many of you are educated people. Uh, you have gone to school. Even, even, if, uh, even if it's not college, it's a trade, right? Uh, and, and so you have, you have gone to school, and, and the process of school is, is you, sit down, uh, you sit down at a desk, and somebody gives you a lecture, and they give you a syllabus, and they tell you what books to read, and, uh, and they tell you what papers to write and what assignments to give, and you sit and you listen to a lecture, and you sit and you listen to a lecture, and you sit and you listen to a lecture, and you've done that so many times that you actually believe that that's the only thing that you need. You just need a special book. You, you just need a special guru. You just need somebody who has some special information. If I just get this New York Best Times seller list book, then I'm going to read this book, and, and then uh, that's going to be the key that unlocks my future, right? My best life is on the other side of this special information that somebody has for me. And I'll be the first, I've gone to school way too many times. I've, I've gone, I, I'm in school right now. I'm, st I'm still like, I, I don't know if I can do this no more. Yeah. You understand? And... And I think the natural inclination of my heart, I like to hear smart people talk. I enjoy that. I like, that's my jam. It's just like, they're brilliant. Talk. <laughs> Let me just, just talk. I'm listening. Right? And, 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 and it's one of the reasons why, and, and ain't no shade. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to show, throw shade. But it's one of the reasons why we're good going to church just to hear the sermon. It's, it's one of the reasons why we, we'll be like, oh, I made it to church. And the only information is the only thing that changes us. And, and, and oftentimes you'll get people who bounce around. Who's got a word? You got a word. They got a word. I need a word. I need a word from God. And so-and-so has this great, uh, great word, and, and, and I need this word over here. And you never become an enmeshed part of a community of faith because you believe that information is the thing that changes you. And you're never changed. Because information is not the only thing that changes you. Information is a good thing. I like a lot of information. But information won't make a disciple. Information won't get you to your purpose. The greatest catalyst for change in your life 
is relationships. The greatest catalyst for change in your life is an interconnected friend or mentor. Information is good, but information ain't all you need. One of the other reasons why I, I in, in, you know, I was in, uh, I was in China 10 years ago, I think, and uh, we were in a, a particular province in China um, that's called the Shandong province, and we were like undercover in, uh, and it's like, man, if you're black in China, you stand out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they said, they said, are you Michael Jordan? I said, I said, what? I'm, I'm about the lightest, lightest black dude you ever saw. No, I'm not Michael Jordan. But anyways, we're under, we're undercover in China, and um, and and people from all over. People came from Mongolia to hear us talk about what we had to say uh, about Jesus, and and uh, and one of the things about China is that they they don't have. They don't have, like, the history of open publication that we do in the United States. So all the books and all the resources and all the, the Internet sites that you go to to learn stuff about Jesus or about faith, they don't exist. Uh, we've had that for hundreds and hundreds of years. We've got shelves of books about Jesus that you will never touch, right? And, and so all these people had come... Uh, to, to hear 25-year-old Steve Coble just say what somebody else told him or in a book he read. And the, what they were going to do as they were writing every single word of everything that I had to say is that we're taking this back to Mongolia. And we've got to share this with people because they don't know what, 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 what we're being taught. They don't know this yet. And Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, well, I don't have, because we believe that information is the only thing that changes us, we think that we don't have enough information. Listen, you got more information than most of the world. You got more information from your children's Sunday school class than most of the world. It's just a matter of sharing it. I remember um, one, of, one of my uh, my friend CJ and I've told this story. Pastor Derek and myself both have two of the same mentors, and I remember CJ he invited uh, he invited me to come live uh, at his home, and I remember thinking like that's that's weird. Why would you invite uh, like at that point I wasn't even really like we weren't like you know we hadn't built like that we 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 were I was like I was like a stranger. And he said, I, I want you to come uh, live with us. And I, and I was like, man, that's, uh, that's kind of odd. And he was like, well, man, listen, I bought this house, this particular house that I have, so that, uh, so that I could have people come live with us. And so I have an extra room in my, in my house so that we can build, so that you can watch me love my wife, so that you can see me interact with my kids so that you can 
experience? What does the rhythm look like of me spending time with God, me spending time in prayer? How do I manage my calendar? How, how, do, I, uh, how do I navigate conflict with my kids and my, and my, and my wife? All, all of these different things, right? And, and for many of us, it's like, oh, that makes sense. But then on the other side of it, we realize like, oh, well, that, that means that that extra square footage ain't for me. It means, it means that like if that's, if, if that's going to be a, a, a central part of, of my life and building relationships and connection with, with other people, and that's a part of what forms and shapes me, that means uh, that, that me looking at the budget and saying, well, I just got to be a good steward of God's resources. And I got to... Th- the but Dave Ramsey told me it can't be above 20, 20% of my, of my annual income. And so I'm going to keep this one bedroom, one bath. Um, and, uh, and so y'all going to, you can come couch surf if you want to, but you, you can't come, come stay with me. Sometimes building relationships and discipleship, if it's a priority in our lives, it costs money. It takes money. And, and sometimes we, we get the, the perspective of I'm being a steward of something and we miss out on the purpose of what God has called us to trying to be a steward of something. And you misprioritize the things that God values in life. Discipleship or that we don't pursue discipleship is because we're easily distracted. We, we've been talking about how, uh, you know, resetting and, and reimagining and Pastor Derek over the past several weeks, and, and all, all of us are kind of getting back into the rhythm of, all right, I go to church on Sunday, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm, I'm going to hit up small group, I'm going to join this small group. There, there's a certain rhythm that's coming back to, to life itself, right? Um, and, and one of the things that happens over the course of time, and, and one of the uh, great spiritual authors said uh, once that... Uh, the greatest threat to the spiritual life is not hedonism. And what he means is like hedonism is the idea of giving yourself over to your desire, everything that you would like to have out of life and, and the different things that uh, are, are cool out of life that you want to experience. But he says the greatest threat uh, to the spiritual life is not giving your life over to your own desires. It's actually just distraction. It's, it's, it's all that time, Pastor Steve, you spend on Redfin. It, it, every moment, every moment that, that you spend when you start to daydream, it, it, it's all that time that you spend scrolling on Instagram. It's, it, it's, it's all that time, uh, it's all that time that, that you spend on TikTok. It's distractions. And the thing about life is you make time for the stuff that you prioritize, Miss Tammy. You make time for the stuff that you prioritize. And a lot of times we prioritize distractions. And we let distractions be the, the, a part of the rhythm of, of our everyday life instead of the mission of God. And, and one of the things that I think is really important, I re, one of my, my mentors, he's an incredible preacher. 
I mean, he could, some of y'all heard Brian Lewis preach. He can preach the paint off the walls. I'm, every time he preached, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I got to get right. <laughs> Let's get right. No, I'm just playing. Um, but anyways, one of the things that you realize, like, he, he would invite me on trips with him. And, uh, and this is one of the, he, he would always say, if he was going to speak somewhere, he would always say either we're paying for it or somebody else is paying for the extra plane ticket. Or we can drive there, but we're going together. He always, he always made sure that he had somebody with him. And, and one of the things that I realized is, oh, I don't have to be this superhero in order to be a disciple. Can I holler at you for a second? Some of the reason why we don't participate in discipleship is because of fear. Because we're not superheroes. And one of the things that relationships, close connected relationships will do is show you, oh, I don't have to be that. And that's the greatest catalyst for me to actually be a disciple is realizing what I don't have to be and what, what I thought perfection w- would look like that I don't actually have to be. Oh, and God gave me this personality that's not like that personality. And actually, even though Brian Loritz is an incredible preacher and developer of people, uh, like the, the strength of interpersonal dialogue is not, is not as what, good as Steve Koble's is. And God has gifted you and wired you in, in particular. One of the things that we realized when we went to, uh, Pastor Derek had, had the conference that, that he hosted. One of the things that, that I think I realized is that some of the stuff that Derek is doing, Pastor Derek is doing, Brian could never do. Even though in, his, in our minds, he's the, he's the superhero. And really, he's just another gifted person anointed by God to fulfill the mission of God. Sometimes being in close proximity and relationship to people helps you understand what you don't have to be. And that's the most freeing thing that that you could have to help you become a disciple. Another reason why I don't think that we pursue discipleship, this idea of becoming a reproducing follower of Jesus, is because it... It requires that it is a priority. I know when I was in Memphis, when I lived in Memphis, you could kind of just be like, hey, man, you want to get together today? And you'd be like, okay, yeah. And you show up at somebody's house. But in Chicago, it's like, yo, like, if you don't, if you don't, if we're not two weeks out, we, this is not going to happen, right? If we're not two weeks out, we're not going to get it on the calendar. Hey, Ethan back there, Enneagram One, and he, we got to get this on the calendar. Anyways, it has to be a priority. It, it has to be something that, like, all right, this is a part. This, if I truly have been renewed by the, by the gospel, right, if, if this thing, I don't want to just go through the, if I really just don't want to go through the motions uh, uh, of my faith, 
then I've, I've got to make this a, this is more important than a trip. This is, this is more important than a concert. This is more, this is more important, and, and I love all of those things. But if the trip and the concert and the whatever always get in the way of connecting relationally with somebody to help me grow in my faith, then that's a problem. The other thing, I, reason why I think we don't participate in producing, reproducing followers of Jesus is because we're afraid of rejection. We think that the absence of conflict is the presence of peace. There are some stuff in your life that ain't going to come easy. That you're going to have to work for. That you're going to have to fail in pursuing. And, and we know that about certain portions of our lives, but, but for whatever reason, when it comes to discipleship and relationships, it's like, ah, I don't want it to get awkward. I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it to get weird. What, what if I say, hey, can I spend some time with you? And, and, they're like, and, and then we don't click. Hey, can, can I spend some time with you? And hey, you know, it, it, just, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. What, what if they don't like me and I don't, I don't like them and, and, and this, that, that, and the third? And, and I think that what, what we have to realize is that sometimes going through hard things is actually getting us to the place where God wants us to go. So sometimes when it comes, when it comes to your job, and, and for some of us, we, we said to ourselves, you know what, um, whatever, you know, for some of us who, who uh, became followers of Jesus, we said, all right, the things that I'm passionate about and the things that I'm good at, those must not be the things that God wants, wants me to do. So I got to go do this other thing over here, right? One of my, one of my friends, uh, he told me he was in, in law school and uh, he was killing it and he was the president of in the country, uh, and then uh, he, he, he went into vocational ministry. And I, I remember thinking, like, you would have been a great lawyer. You, you would have you killed it being a great lawyer. And because sometimes we have a masochistic approach to God, we like, oh, God must want me to do the thing that I least desire. Right? Without noticing, like, God put this stuff in me for a reason. And then on the flip side of that, there are those of us who, if it's not easy, it must not be from God. If it's not smooth sailing, it must not be from the Lord. And sometimes the most valuable things in life, they take trying and they take failure and they take messing up and they take falling on your face, getting back up again and dusting yourself off. I love, I love this picture of Nolan Ryan in the middle of a, a baseball game. He, uh, he got in a fist fight 
with, uh, with the batter. I think he threw at the batter previously, and he wouldn't come out of the game. And, and so here he is. He's got blood dripping down the front of his shirt and down his mouth, uh, and he goes back to the mound. And I just have a sense right now in this moment that that's God's word to you. You want to leave the game. And God is saying, get back on the mound. Get back up on the mound. We're going to fall forward with this thing. We're going to stumble forward with this thing, but we, we've, we've got to move forward. And so in a practical way, you know, sometimes I'll talk as a pastor and, and tell people, like uh, somebody will say, like, hey, I want to be, be discipled. And my next response is, well, who in your small group is, is like that season ahead of you in life, Right. Um, and and wh- why don't you pursue that person? Or who's a person whose walk with Jesus inspires you? Like, per- pursue that person. And sometimes I think that the fear of rejection in that or the fear of it won't work out or the fear of, like, all right, I, I got to coordinate my schedule uh, around this. And, um, and the fear of, well, I don't have enough information keeps us from just saying, hey, can I get coffee with you? Miss Tammy ought not to have a single open spot on her calendar. It, every 30-year-old woman in, in this side of, of, uh, of 290 <laughs> ought to be saying, hey, Miss Tammy, I need to spend time with you. Tony Hoare shouldn't have a single spot on her calendar. Mike and Lisa Fiorito ought to not have a single spot on their calendar because there's so many 30-year-old people saying, hey, I need to spend some time with you. And the reason why I think we don't do it is is partially because of a fear of of rejection. And sometimes y'all not going to click. It's not going to work. Sometimes the schedules don't mesh really what I thought it was going to be. And on the other end, there's stuff that you're going to learn that that just isn't information. Just by being in proximity with somebody, there's parts of your life that are going to be changed and transformed. Discipleship. Discipleship is relational. But not only is discipleship relational, but uh, discipleship is inspirational. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, uh, the apostle Paul says to his protege Timothy to fan into flame the gift that was given to him, to do the work of a good soldier, to do the work of a hardworking farmer, a competing athlete. It's this idea of, of Paul being licensed to call Timothy up. Hey, there, there's a standard of excellence that I expect from you. They're, like, you're going through the motions in this thing. And, and sometimes if we haven't licensed people to tell us the hard things in life, 
We'll just be going through the motions. And if, if information isn't the only thing that changes you and relationships is something that changes you, then somebody calling you up to something when you haven't been called up and information is the thing that you're seeking, in turn, some of the greatest change in trajectory in people's lives is because somebody told them something they didn't want to hear. If you don't have anybody in your life telling you something that you don't want to hear, you won't change. If you haven't licensed somebody close to you to give you feedback about you, who loves you and you love, that relationship will never actually be intimate. You put yourself in the spot to be changed and to change. Other reason why I think that this is difficult for people is that we have kind of this desire to not submit to any kind of authority. Like, you can tell me stuff up to a certain level. And then after it gets past that level, I'm cool. Like, we're not going there. Right? And, uh, and, and so, that, and, and that's another reason why I think people bounce around from, from church to church and don't get enmeshed uh, any, in any community. And it, I, I firmly believe that churches have seasons. Somebody, you know, it might be two years, five years, ten years, and maybe God calls you to a new place. But one of the reasons why I think that people bounce around from church to church is sometimes I just don't want to be accountable to anybody. I just want to do my own thing. You're not going to become a disciple. You're not going to become a multiplying follower of Jesus not being willing to submit to anybody and, and to be accountable to anybody. Information isn't the only thing that changes you. And so somebody today, you might be asking, ain't nobody coming to me to ask, say, hey, Port, can, I, can, I be, can you be my mentor and this, that, and the other? You got kids at home, don't you? There's a ministry called Grip Outreach for Youth that's always looking for mentors uh, who, people who follow Jesus and want to pour into the younger generation. There, there's a, a student ministry here at the church that's been trying to get off the ground for about six months now. You can do that. So let's cook. For some of us, we might be saying, I don't know if I can do any of the stuff that you just said, Pastor Steve. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that because Jesus already did those things, he now empowers and enables you and me to do those things. Because Jesus didn't walk up 
uh, to Simon and Peter and say, I think I'm going to be rejected. I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I should ask them this. It's because Jesus walked up and said, come and follow me. And they responded and came that he now empowers and enables you and me to do the same for other people. It's because ultimately through the, what looked like failure to the outside world, but was actually the triumph of Jesus Christ getting all of our sin debt, past, present, and future passed away onto him, away from us, that he now empowers and enables us to stumble forward through something that looks like failure for the sake of discipleship. So let's cook. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. And I pray even as we, uh, we kind of try to reorient ourselves to what you prioritize for us, not just a special word for our purpose, but you already gave us the purpose. Sometimes we just get distracted. Sometimes we long for different experiences. Sometimes we value things that are created over you. Sometimes man, we just don't prioritize stuff. Sometimes we're afraid of rejection. Sometimes relationships are messy. And yet, God, I, I pray that you would give us that Nolan Ryan never leaves the game for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.